0: Hello, and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions or consultant 360. Hello, and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information that you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is part of a series of episodes on diabetes technology, featuring a Q&A with Livleen Gill and Rachel stahl Salzman. Welcome, Livleen and Rachel. Thanks so much for having us. I'm excited about this episode. I want to take a moment to introduce each of you first. So I will start with Livleen Gill. Livleen is a president and CEO of Apostle Group LLC, a consulting company that provides innovative solutions to clients in healthcare, food, and nutrition. She's also the CEO of Wholesome Village Company in Rockville, Maryland. Previously, she was a private practice nutrition consultant for more than 20 years and food and nutrition services director and outpatient dietitian at healthcare centers in Maryland. She will serve as the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics president in 2024 to 2025 year. Next, I want to introduce Rachel. Rachel is a registered dietitian and diabetes care and education specialist in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at While Cornell Medicine in New York City. Rachel is passionate about empowering individuals to make sustainable lifestyle changes and leverage diabetes technology and digital health to improve their health and quality of life. So again, welcome Liv, Lean, and Rachel. Thank you. We're going to talk a little bit about telehealth. And the question I want to explore is the impact of telehealth on diabetes care. I'm really curious to hear about the benefits and the challenges in your opinion. So Rachel and Livleen, what are your thoughts on, let's start with the benefits first. Let's start with the positive. (laughs) Sure. For us, the
1: benefit was, you know, when you see the individuals, the patients in their home setting, one of the thing, it took away the issue of, I don't know what I wrote down, what my numbers were. Um, you had access to the the at uh, the meter, you had access to the reports. You could also see in real time whether they knew how to use the, the meter, you could see whether they had the medication and were able to look at whether they could pull this I- insulin or not. Those were some of the things for our team were very beneficial. Our cancellation rate also dropped significantly for visits with, uh, with telehealth. So the continuity of care and that access to care really was much, was much improved for us. So those were my takeaways for the benefits of telehealth. Rachel, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I would add, we are living in a more digital world than ever before, and now with access to cloud-based software that can integrate the data from the patient's glucose meter, from their CGM, from their pump, right onto the internet allows us to easily be able to observe their data, not only during telehealth visits, but also between visits. And the term I'm going to use here is that term remote patient monitoring. Um, So that has definitely expanded and ultimately helped improve care. I would definitely agree with Livleen. People show up more than ever on these telehealth visits. The no-show rate, I completely agree. is very low. And this has been for many reasons. It's convenient for the person. You know, I live based in New York City where people can have long commutes by car, by subway. Just this past week, President Biden was in town and that, you know, caused so many delays in the subway. Patients were arriving so late for the ones that were showing up on an in-person day. So it's just allowed more convenience and people are actually wanting it. You know, we, you know, since COVID and since the doors have opened back up, you know, we've really been able to balance telehealth and in-person visits really based on demand. And what we see across the board in our adult endocrinology practice is that many patients still very much want virtual visits. Um, And we've seen great success in helping to ensure that they're using the technology the right way. I've, you know, I could demonstrate how to use an insulin pen by holding it up on the screen. They could have their device and I show them where to place it on their body, let's say if they're inserting a CGM. So it's been a really great experience overall.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic to hear, especially the point about the no-show rate is low because it be- kind of begs the question I was thinking as you both were speaking is Do you ever have any patients that are like, no, I want to come in because I can't figure out how to use this technology or there's a barrier there?
2: Yeah, I do think there's still a need for in-person for certain people or for certain times. You know, I, I think what we've seen too is if we have all these virtual visits, it's important to get them in person to do a physical exam, look at them physically, right? Because we do get a lot of concerns of people maybe you know, self-reporting their body weight, sometimes hard to trust, or is their scale accurate? So there is definitely still the need, in, in, from my perspective, for in-person visits.
0: Yes, of course. And then the other thing I was thinking is, what's the number one thing that when you go to a doctor's office and you're waiting and your appointments say at noon, and it's like 12, 15, you're like, okay, well, they didn't call me back yet. So it's another reason why your no-show rate is is down so much because people probably love it. Like if they have an appointment at noon, somebody's going to be there right at noon. You're not waiting in an office.
2: I would just add, you know, there was always this concern even before COVID. We were starting to think about incorporating telehealth, and it was you know only certain types of select patients, only in certain you know New York State, and you know this and that. And and people were concerned that it was going to lose that human element, the human touch that we do have in like true face-to-face in-person appointments. But what I found is that we actually get to know them so well during telehealth. And I'm sure Livleen could agree. We see their family running in the background. We could go into their kitchen. They could show us exactly the food that they're eating that's in their house. Uh, So I feel like it's been a, a really great way to have a personal touch, being able to meet with them virtually.
0: Oh, I love that, especially about you can see like what's going on. Like you, they can show you their fridge; they can walk there and show you what's in their refrigerator. So that's another great point. Now, now what about the the barriers or the issues that potentially come about? Like, what are some challenges that you both are, have experienced with the telehealth?
1: For us, and as I had said previously, our practice is over sixty percent. We see the senior population and technological connectivity challenges have been, I would say, the most. It's still difficult for them to understand and get the technology, how this is going to work. Will the doctor who I'm going to see the only one going to be there? So those have been our biggest barriers. And to the other point that Rachel had talked about the telehealth. Yes, they're right there, but they also feel that there is, if it's at home and they don't want their children around, it's a loss of privacy for them. And some of them have not wanted to have those visits. They'd rather come in person. So those have been our biggest challenges with our population that we see.
0: Yeah, I definitely get that. That makes sense. The privacy aspect. It's, it goes beyond like trying to lock your door in an office, right? Yes. <laughs> <So>. Yes. <laughs> How about you for you, Rachel?
2: I would a- agree with Livleen. is that there still are people who have some technological barriers or simply like just aren't interested in, you know, downloading the, you know, the information that they need to support the video visit. Uh, we've done a really big overhaul in our virtual platform to try to make it easier for patients. You know, we started with, you know, a separate link out through Zoom, where if the person didn't have a Zoom account, they'd have to create an account or, you know, that would just add another element. And more recently, it's embedded right into our electronic health record. So it does make it easier for the person. And we do provide an IT team to help support them. And I think just knowing that we're fortunate to have medical assistance staff that do call the patients before each visit to make sure they're set up, make sure they're ready. That way, you know, we're not stuck waiting for them trying to connect that they're ready to go at the time of their visit. So that's been helpful. is just having the human support and access for them.
0: Wow. That's such a great system that you have in place with the support team. I have a doctor's office that they do virtual calls, but there's has never been anybody calling me like 15 minutes before the visit to ask if I'm okay with the technology. I think that's fantastic.
2: Yes. Again, it's all about, it comes down to staffing, which I know could vary across people's uh, workplaces. So we are very fortunate in that regard. And the other thing, and I'm curious if Livleen has used this, we have a backup for, it's called Doximity. So if they're not able to connect for whatever reason, through the normal way, we do use Doximity where we can actually text the person to their phone, which is available, their number in the medical record. And then they would click the link from their text message and it would immediately open up a HIPAA compliant video platform. So we've used that if they're having trouble accessing the traditional method.
0: Wow. So you even have a backup. I'm impressed, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And Rachel, what you just said, if we don't use
1: Doximity, but we have a similar thing, it's just a link that goes to their to their cell phone and they just need to, you know, click it. It's easier that way and they're used to it. Or it can be HIPAA compliant text that goes and say, you know, we're waiting for you. Uh, your doctor is waiting for you or your dietitian is waiting for you. Please click here. So yes, there. I, I think since the last, in the last, what, we are in 24 in the last four years, technology has really improved to be able to provide the support and improve this connectivity with the, with the patient. I know in the beginning it was mostly, you know, cobbled together, whatever you could to get this done, but I think things have improved since then.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. And that kind of leads me into, well, you kind of already answered it, livleen but it leads me into the next question because I'm curious to hear the changes in each of your practices since COVID-19 and the increased use of telehealth and also how how quickly, how rapidly it's changing and how do you keep up with it? So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So our
1: practice delivery method has significantly changed. So prior to COVID, we had four locations where we used to see patients. Uh, right now, we have a single office and most of our providers either do telehealth or they are from that office see patients or do home visits so we've been able to blend the telehealth and the in-person visits in a way it has brought down our overhead but we have not missed a beat in being able to provide the care and it's become more personalized i would say and more on demand in the sense that we are able to look out for our patients more quickly and get them in to a visit than was previously to COVID. Oh,
0: well, that's amazing. So it sounds like you're not only reducing the overhead, but experiencing growth too.
1: Yes. So it, in, a, in a very different way. Yes. Technology in that sense has really helped
0: us. Yes. Yeah, pretty soon they're going to be hologramming into their houses, so (laughs) you don't need to do the home visits. How how about on your end, Rachel?
2: Very similar. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we were starting to try telehealth a little bit before COVID, and then it was, boom, we're moving 100% virtual. And there was no doubt there were some challenges in the beginning, right? Being able to have them connect through the patient portal. Many of them didn't have accounts, didn't have any interest in setting it up. Um, so getting them on board with that was a big part of it, but we've had tremendous success. Um, you know, Once you kind of get through those initial growing pains, uh, the telehealth platform does for the overall majority of people move and work very smoothly. We've also changed offices since COVID and downsized spaces as well. Since we're doing a lot of virtual care, we're able to have more shared office space rather than own individual desk space. So that's also been good. And it it actually has allowed us to be closer to the main hospital campus, which has been a positive move overall.
0: How about thinking about the data and how diabetes can be downloaded from cloud-based software? How can that then make it easier for remote patient monitoring? I know, Rachel, you touched on it earlier, but if there's anything else that you want to share about that, that will be helpful. Definitely. What I think has been very helpful is
2: making sure that the people that we care for are connected with their digital devices. And many of the devices now have a corresponding app that could have some sort of code or a patient identifier that can be shared between the patient and the practice to allow their data to be shared automatically. And once that process is done, it's automatically in real time. An example would be a continuous glucose monitoring platform. So with that, We're able to have our medical assistants the day or two before a virtual visit go on to the cloud-based software, recognizing that if the patient's already connected, they would simply look up the patient, they would download the most recent report, um, and we usually do a two-week report, it's very, very common, and then they would download it, save it as a PDF, and this is where I do think virtual care and integration in Epic into our medical record is still, you know, yet to face, but the idea is they download it onto their computer and then upload it into the medical record. The future, and I think in the near future, we're gonna be able to see that step be eliminated and the data will just flow right into the medical record. So right now it is requiring that extra step of our medical staff to download it in advance of the visit. Um, Prior to that process, which again was a big workflow Uh, upgrade in COVID is as the providers would be spending time trying to look up the report on the platform, making sure the patient's connected and that would take away valuable time of doing what we do best, right? Is being with the patient and having that time to support them with their personal health goals. So being able to have a team has been incredibly helpful with that and similar for the insulin pumps as well. Once they're connected, the data is continuous flow and we just have the staff go in to download it in advance of the appointments.
0: That's excellent. So it sounds like with the the download, it's probably like, does the download take a really long time or is it something that Like a typical download, like you download it and it's there. Very fast. Yes,
2: typically very fast. But there are some patients for some systems, maybe they got rid of the, they closed out the app or they got a new phone or they changed their password. Sometimes that could throw off the ability to get that data quickly and in real time. So there are, of course, some situations where we might need to contact the patient, find out why the data is not being connected. Some technological issue, but for the overarching majority for most people is it, it does work very well and
0: fast. That's good news. How about you, Lively? Any any additional comments on that? Or is probably is it the same or it, different? It's similar. In our side,
1: our team is more is a little bit different. It's between the, the RD and the NP and only the most complex where they're not really being being able to be managed, that the data is shared with the with the MD the rd typically will re- will review the the data and do a warm handoff with the with the np yes i'm a registered dietitian but i believe that the the dietitians are really trained and better able to st- look at the data and give the information that is needed to make those, make those visits helpful and get the information across. And they are the ones who usually will be the ones sitting with the patients, help with, help them with their technology and, and, you know, with their report. So, so that's kind of in our practice, that's how we've, we've done it.
0: Oh, that's great. It's almost like you're reading my mind, Livleen, because my next question is about the role of RDNs in diabetes tech. And you already kind of alluded, are they diabetes tech? How can they become diabetes tech champions in the work setting? And it sounds like in your setting, they already kind of are.
1: Yes. And it helps that, you know, as the, the CEO of the practice, it was an RDN. I do believe that that is a role of the RDN to be able to then integrate with the team and to bring the team on board. When we started in the beginning to bring on the technology, and Rachel is in a, diff- in a little bit of a different setting, our providers were not really trained in that. So they were a little bit hesitant in how they were going to, to manage. So we had to put processes in place, workflows in place, yeah, you know, the dietitians had to do a one-on-one and would, so that's kind of how we ended up building the team. And that's how the dietitian became the tech champion to lead the team forward with it.
0: And I love hearing that. That is so great. And Rachel, I can't wait to hear what you were going to say about the champions, because I know there's a lot of listeners that are interested in this space. So how can they become one?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the field of diabetes technology. I can't emphasize enough, is so exciting and the di- the role of the dietitian plays such a crucial role of kind of unlocking the data in a way that's understandable for the person to help them support positive behavior change. I think one of the biggest ways to, few ways to become a diabetes tech champion is if you're able to, you know, getting your hands on these technology. One of the best ways to really understand it is if you do have the ability to Try it out, you know, understand how to how to use a blood glucose meter. Practice with some insulin pens. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to, to wear a CGM. And that helps you to really understand from the patient perspective. What does it feel like to place the device? Does it hurt? How does it feel? Being able to provide some personal feedback around that could be really, really helpful. And then I think as the RDN, this is our time to shine, stepping up to the plate to really show the value that you can provide in your practice setting once you're more comfortable with the technology. Um, For example, maybe it could be sharing updates on diabetes technology at your staff meetings. I think we can all agree of new FDA approvals like each and every month, it's hard to keep track of it. Um, But doing your best to, to stay up to date I would also add, you know, having that CDCES credential has been extraordinarily helpful and to build the confidence of being comfortable with diabetes technology and really great resources from the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists and the American Diabetes Association. And of course, I have to shout out the diabetes practice group. So, (laughs) um, you know, there's a wonderful team there. There's actually now we set up a mentorship program. So again, if you are interested, but not really sure, we now have a mentorship program where you have the opportunity to potentially connect with a mentor who can help support you.
0: Yes, mentor. I think that's always so great to grab a mentor, especially if it's a space that you're, you want to get into, it's helpful to have the mentor to help you.
2: It's helped me so much, but being able also to, right, to shadow, you know, asking to shadow providers that maybe are more uh, seeing a lot more of diabetes technology, having discussions with them. I think a lot of it, you know, just comes out to being proactive as as much as you can to be
0: exposed to it. Yes. Great tips. Thank you. Now, how about some examples of initiatives that you led in your practice settings to be the, the diabetes champion. I know you kind of talked about the mentorship. Is there anything else, any other initiatives that you'd like to share? Sure. Yeah. One
2: initiative that I've been co-chairing for a few years now with my colleague, Dr. Jane Seely is the diabetes champion committee. And this is a group across our NYP Cornell Hospital System, with a goal to provide knowledge and skills training for healthcare professionals in diabetes okay. care. So we have a dedicated group of nurses, dietitians, pharmacists, and other staff, both in inpatient and outpatient. And we feature every month different diabetes topics. And naturally, diabetes technology is, is a common one that, that we talk about. So it's an opportunity to share with others, get people engaged
0: on diabetes topics. I love that. The name is so so simple, right? <laughs> yeah. How about you, Livleen? Any any other initiatives you want to share with us?
1: The providers will meet with with a rep. They'll call in to go over any new technology or any new paper that has been released to to look at it. We're much smaller than you know Rachel's team, but that's kind of how it's more a initiative per, led by the RD. And not necessarily the, the, the docs, but they all come together um, in terms of the education piece of it.
0: What I kind of want to know next is we've had this discussion about telehealth and in the end of it, there were so many takeaways, but if you could just identify one key takeaway for our audience, what would that takeaway be? Let's go to Rachel first.
2: You know, something that really excites me is that we are just in the beginning of what telehealth can offer for us. You know, I think about how it's really moved that face to face from in person to the computer screen. But I think what we're going to be seeing and hearing more of is how we can incorporate other aspects of virtual care into it maybe virtual reality being able to simulate real world scenarios with the person i think about bringing them to their restaurant their favorite restaurant and helping them decipher what menu or you know how to connect with their their favorite aunt betty who insists on having them try apple pie when they know they want to try to eat less how we can take the knowledge that we share during our face to face visits and maybe simulate more engagement kind of this idea of more virtual reality into our, our meetings.
0: Virtual reality. I love that. That's great. That's I keep seeing more and more, and I'm sure, Rachel, you probably keep up with the research on that as well, but I keep seeing more and more talk about that and how they're it's advancing. So thank you for that. How about you, Livleen? I you think, think?
1: Tele- telehealth is here to stay for long term, and it's going to shift and change a little bit, but it's just going to be one of the delivery modes of care delivery is not going to replace completely the in-person visit but maybe one day it will but it will but it's definitely a needed um, you know modality to provide access to care for those individuals living in rural urban areas um, and to be able to bring as Rachel said you know the aunts and the family members into the picture when you're providing the care so that everything is right there. You don't have to wait for the next month to bring them in.
0: Yes, that is great. It's just another delivery mode in the future. Like there's probably going to be other ways too. Like we'll be talking about it in another couple of years. I don't know what they're going to call it, but whoever discovers the next <laughs> innovation, right? <laughs> yep. So thank you. Thank you both for sharing your wisdom on this episode. Thank you. Thank you. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com.